Acts 2, Isaiah chapter 58. I think we're standing for the reading of Scripture. At least in my bulletin we are. (laughs) Out of reverence to God whose word this is. I'm going to uh, read the entire chapter. Um, As you turn there, again, I want to thank the uh, elders for the privilege of being with you uh, for uh, this weekend. It's been a, a very very good time for my wife and me to uh, connect with this church that, with which we've been concerned from its beginning and for which we've prayed uh, over the years. And it's just a pleasure to see how God is a blessing you here. I thank you as well for the support that you give to uh, Greenville Seminary and um, continue to pray for us as well. Isaiah chapter 58 Cry loudly, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet, and declare to my people their transgression, and to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me day by day, and delight to know my ways, as a nation that has done righteousness, and has not forsaken the ordinance of their God. They ask me for just decisions, they delight in the nearness of God. Why have we fasted, and you do not see? Why have we humbled ourselves? And you do not notice. Behold, on the day of your fast you find your desire, and drive hard all your workers. Behold, you fast for contention and strife, and to strike with a wicked fist. You do not fast, as you do today, to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast like this which I choose, a day for a man to humble himself? Is it for bowing one's head like a reed? and for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed. Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast which I choose, to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house when you see the naked to cover him? and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light will break out like the dawn, and your recovery will speedily spring forth, and your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry, and he will say, Here I am, if you remove the yoke from your midst the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness. And if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like midday. And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones. And you will be like a watered garden like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable and honor it, desisting from your own ways, seeking your own pleasure, and speaking your own word, 
Then you will take delight in the Lord. I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O Holy One, we come now and we seek you to come to us as you have promised. That you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your law. That your spirit would come to us in the preaching that we might hear the voice of Christ our Savior speaking to us now. That you'll anoint both the one who preaches and all who hear. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. We'll still continue in our meditations on the covenant through the two worship services today. As we looked at the covenant theologically, uh, culminating in the role of the church, I remind you this morning that the covenant also brings with it a certain piety, a certain approach to life and living. And right at the top of the list of, of what the covenant demands of us is a careful observance of the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's Day. As we see in our meditation, the sons of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to celebrate the Sabbath throughout the generations as a permanent covenant. You see, the Sabbath is part of the covenant. It's a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, but on the seventh day he ceased from labor and was refreshed. But today, not only do we see a dismal ignorance with respect to the covenant, we see an even greater ignorance with respect to covenant piety. And so this morning I want to speak to you about the the Sabbath and God's calling us as his church, as his covenant people, to a careful observance of the Sabbath. Our text is Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14. Now, you need to have some grasp of the context of what Isaiah is doing, particularly in the second half of the book, to understand the the fullness, particularly of what God promises us here in verse 14. Isaiah is divided into two sections, the first one ending in 39, uh, particularly focusing on the judgment uh, on God's people through the Assyrians. But even in that section, as God pronounces judgment, you'll recognize he's constantly coming back and, and uh, promising grace and mercy and pardon. And so uh, the second chapter, which begins now particularly to focus on Judah and the judgment of God in the Babylonian captivity and the restoration of that captivity and how all of that process is appointed in God's wisdom to be a picture of Christ in the church begins with words of comfort. Comfort, comfort you, my people. And it declares that the judgment has been paid. So as, we, as you work your way through the second half, God pronounces judgment, particularly of the Babylonians, and then he pronounces deliverance. Now, the judgment's yet to come, uh, many years after the announcement, and the deliverance long after that. But then in the midst of that, God is talking about his servant, the servant of Jehovah, who is, in fact, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the time we get to chapter 53, 
with that final great servant uh, song. At that point forward, though, there's still pronouncements of judgment and warnings. Uh, More and more, the prophet is actually talking about the New Testament church. So in chapter 54, for example, we have the promise of uh, the covenant church and how God's going to gather the nations to himself through the church. 55, the great gospel offer. Come and buy you who have no money. Chapter 56 is very interesting because that's the first mention of the Sabbath and it's put in the context not of Jews but of the nations um, showing the perpetuity right there of the Sabbath. Now we come to chapter 58 and God is indicting the people one more time for their formal hypocrisy. They're seeking God. They, quote, are humble themselves with a fast. But God's not hearing them because their lifestyle is one of wickedness, particularly in the way that they are treating their neighbors. He says that the fast I warn, he's not saying we should not fast, but fasting by itself as a religious exercise does no good if your heart's not right or if you're practicing sin in their case. So he's calling them to repent, particularly of their social sins and their injustices and their uh, shoddy treatment of their neighbors. And in that context, he promises them that if they do repent, that he will cause his light to shine on them uh, and that he will rebuild them. In verse 12, that um, he will raise up builders and, and repair the city and the restore of the streets. Now, how then does this, these last two verses relate to that? Well, I think what we see here is that the Sabbath is going to be the great means that God would use to overthrow formalism and religious hypocrisy. It'd be the great means that God would use to raise up people in the church who would have a heart for him. And so uh, it seems to flow in that direction. Now, what I want to show you from these two verses, that God has appointed the careful observance of the Sabbath as the means of sanctifying and blessing his people. God has appointed the careful observance of the Sabbath as the means of blessing and sanctifying his people. I'm going to consider two things. I'm going to switch the order, kind of put the carrot out there first, direct you to the promise in verse 14. And that is God's appointed the Sabbath as a means of great blessing. And then verse 13, God's appointed the careful observance of the Sabbath as the means of that blessing. But first, the blessings attached to the Sabbath in verse 14. Then you will take delight in the Lord. I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Three great blessings attached to the Sabbath. And I don't know three greater things promised or three greater needs that we have as Christians than these three things. He begins with that through the Sabbath, he will cause us to take delight in the Lord. Now, the name Lord here has to do, it's the personal name of God. It is his covenant name. It is Jehovah. And he is our God and our Savior. And this word delight means to find exquisite pleasure. The pleasure that lovers find in one another, our grandparents and their grandchildren, or some heirloom or something that, that you've received, or some particular uh, gift that you have, and, and, and you cherish that thing, and you take delight in it. 
That's the significance of this word. It's, it's not just a, a casual uh, liking. It's a rich, beautiful, exquisite delight. And he's saying that through the Sabbath, you will find increasing great delight in the Lord God. Now, it makes great sense because the Sabbath is all about God. As we'll see in a moment, this institution uh, reminds us that he is, in fact, the creator. And there he set before us as the, as the sovereign and powerful and eternal creator. And then in the Lord Jesus Christ, and as we'll sing this in, in our closing uh, hymn, um, in his uh, resurrection is the great work of Redeemer. And the Spirit then being poured out on the Sabbath as well. And so the triune God is set before us in the Sabbath as Creator, as Redeemer, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what the Sabbath is all about. It is to direct our attention to the works of God and the God who works in those works. And so it gives us opportunity to reflect, you see, on the splendor and majesty and wonder of God. And as we do that, as we're freed from the things around us to focus on Him, our love for Him grows. Now, is there anyone here this morning that loves God as much as he or she would like to love God? Don't we mourn and confess our lack of love for God? But he says, here, I've given you a means to love me more and to find your greatest pleasures in me. So through the Sabbath, you will grow in your love and delight of the Lord God. The second thing he promises is a great spiritual prosperity and victory. He says, I'm going to uh, make you ride on the heights of the earth. Now, remember our context here. He's anticipating captivity returning to the land, and returning to the land, speaking of the, uh, the prosperity and victory that will belong to the people that's first prophesied in Deuteronomy or this language is, is in Deuteronomy chapter 32, 12, and 13. Uh, Jehovah alone guided him, speaking of Israel. There was no foreign God with him. He made him ride on the high places of the earth. He ate the produce of the field. He made him suck honey from the rock and oil from flinty rock. And then in chapter 33, the very end here of uh, Moses' song, um, Verse 29, blessed are you, O Israel, who's like you, a people saved by Jehovah, who's the shield of your help and the sword of your majesty, so your enemies will cringe before you and you will tread upon their high places. That was promised to people before they entered the land. Isaiah is saying, yes, you're going to have victory, but now notice it's attached to the Sabbath. He's saying, I'm going to fulfill this for you in the Sabbath. I'm going to prosper you, and I'm going to give you great spiritual victory. So you'll ride on the high places of the earth. Now again, we see here the Sabbath is a means of grace. It's a means that God said appointed to cause us, enable us, to work in us, to die to sin, and grow in conformity to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's saying that it's through the Sabbath that he will work this grace in our lives. And again, we know the need that we have. 
And is it not quite possible that uh, the church today is as weak as it is because of the wholesale violation of the Sabbath? And that some of us are also weak in our Christian walk because of our Sabbath breaking. And God has said through the Sabbath, he will give us great spiritual strength and victory. And so that we in Christ Jesus will be more than conquerors. And the third thing that's promised then, so we see this delight in God, this means of grace by which we prosper and our souls become fat and, and we have victory. Uh, and that is we have a what I'm, I call a, a personal experimental enjoyment of who we are in Christ Jesus. You see, we have an inheritance. And again, uh, God is, is playing with these types. We talked about that at, at the Sunday school hour today. So he talks about the heritage uh, there in verse 14. I'll feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. Well, the heritage was the inheritance of the land. Um, and he's going to restore them to the land. And they're going to eat the milk and honey and the fat of the land. But remember, that's a type of our inheritance. The land is a picture to us that we are the sons and daughters of God and we're heirs of the earth and and joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have an inheritance. But what does it mean to feed on your inheritance? Well, it means to live in the full reality of who and what you are in Christ Jesus. You're wealthy. You're princes and princesses. You're the royal children of God and you're living below your inheritance. Now, when I read these words, feed on the heritage, I think of Shorter Catechism 36. I mentioned it yesterday. So, what are the benefits that accompany or flow from our justification, adoption, and sanctification? The benefits which flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification are assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Spirit, increase in grace, and perseverance therein to the end. That is living in the reality. You know that you're justified. You know that you're adopted. God's pardoned your sins. He's constantly you legally righteous. He's brought you into his family. His spirit is indwelling you. But what does that produce in you? Does it produce the assurance of God's love? Does it bring you joy in the Holy Spirit? Does it bring you... Um, a confidence of your growth in grace and your eternal perseverance. Well, through the Sabbath, through God constantly coming to us with his great covenant promises, he is coming to us as Lord and Master, but as Father. And he's working in us an enjoyment, enjoyment of who and what we are in Christ. Now, I trust you agree with me. You know, these are three well, the greatest promises in the Bible a Christian could have. But notice the signature. Don't you love the signature? Uh, for the mouth of Jehovah has spoken. He's used this before in the book of Isaiah. It's kind of like uh, that old uh, Columbo series, and he would do the I and said, you can bank on it. That's what God's doing. He said, you can bank on it, because I stand behind it. I, the eternal triune God, I stand behind these promises God who cannot change, God who is faithful, guarantees through the Sabbath to do these things for you. 
Well, that brings us then to uh, verse 13 and the second point, and that is God's appointed the careful observance of the Sabbath as the means to these blessings. Now, you'll notice that what we have in 13 and 14 is a conditional sentence, an if-then. Some of God's promises are absolute and unconditional, and some are conditional. And this is a conditional promise. So God says, if you really want these things, yes, they're in the Sabbath, but it's not just a formal approach to the Sabbath. It is a careful observance of the Sabbath, if. And in verse 13, in the first place, he calls us to a careful observance of the day. He does both negatively and positively. So negatively, he says to us, if because of the Sabbath, on account of it, you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day. Now, he pictures the Sabbath here as holy ground, like as when Moses was up on Mount Horeb and God said, you know, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. Or I like to picture it as a beautiful garden. And um, he says that uh, you must not profane my beautiful garden. You must not profane uh, my, my holy ground. And the language, his holy day, takes us back to Genesis chapter 2. Deliberately, I believe the language is used. It's interesting, the language takes us both back to Genesis 2, and it takes us forward to the New Testament, where actually the Sabbath is called the Lord's Day. But the holy day of the Lord takes us back to Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their host. By the seventh day God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. So the seventh day of creation, God rests. And the word rested is the word Sabbath. Uh, God kept Sabbath. Um, now, what does it mean that God rested? Well, he, in the first place, we read here that this means he, he declared that the special work of creation was completed. Nothing was to be added to it. It was perfect, complete. All was very good. Uh, but then also, when God rested, in the very section here we have in our meditation, in Exodus 31, it says that he, uh, when it says he rested, the, the Hebrew word is he, he sold himself, S-O-U-L-E-D. So the word soul is turned into a verb. He refreshed himself. Now, how does God refresh himself? He doesn't get tired or weary. No, it's the idea of he, he stood back, he contemplated what he had done, and he said, man... This is really good. He took delight in it. Much in the same way you, you finish a, a project in the, in the shop or you make a really special meal or you, you've written a, a paper that turns out really well and, ha, ah, yeah. And you just take delight in it. And God, in his rest, contemplated what he had done, so to speak, and took great pleasure in it. And then the third thing that he did in his rest that we spoke of yesterday is he declared the promise of eternal life uh, through the covenant of works, if Adam had obeyed the covenant of works, but now through the covenant of grace, 
so that we can enter into his rest with him. So God kept Sabbath and actually teaches us ourselves how, how to keep Sabbath, that we delight. Uh, uh, we know that God's work of, of redemption is completed and we delight in it and uh, we have the inheritance of eternal life. So then what does God do for us? Well, he does two things to this day. He blesses the day and he sanctifies it. Now, how does God bless a thing? You know, we understand blessing people, blessing his word, but blessing a day. Well, the Genesis account explains this to us. When God blesses an animal, for example, he uh, gives it purpose and builds into it. So he blesses the birds and builds into it um, the ability to fulfill that purpose. I think that's what animal uh, instinct is all about. Why these remarkable things can happen and, and baby birds can fly someplace they've never been and always get there or salmon goes back upstream or whatever. God has designed this into them. That's they're part of their purpose and he's blessed them. So in blessing a day, God is assigning a purpose to that day to make it a blessing. And our Savior has that in mind when he says uh, that the Sabbath was, uh, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. It's to be a blessing. So God appointed the Sabbath day to be a blessing. Then he sanctified it unto that end. And that means he set it aside from everyday common purposes to the special purpose of worship. Throughout all these first five books of, of the Bible, uh, when God sanctified things, that's what he did. They were set apart for worship, and they could not be used in any other way whatsoever. This is why it's called the Holy Day and the Holy Day of the Lord. Now, perhaps, if you're with me, you have a question. Well, this says that God blessed and sanctified the seventh day. But we're here on the first day, and we're calling this the Sabbath. How can we do that? Well, again, if you're with us this weekend, you remember that God's moral law is unchangeable. And all ten of the Ten Commandments are a reflection of God's moral character and how we are to relate to Him and one another. But all of those moral laws also have what we would call temporary or positive aspects. So the worship of God entailed all these other things. Uh, with the ceremonies and the priest and laws of cleanliness and uncleanliness and, and all those kind of things. Um, and that doesn't continue, or, or the way our catechism interprets the promise of the fifth commandment. So it's no longer long life in the land, but long life in prosperity, to the degree it's for God's glory and your good. So in the Sabbath, it is a perpetual commandment, it is a moral commandment, but it has positive aspects. In other words, in our nature, every person in the image of God knows that God is and that God is owed worship. God's owes an exclusive worship. But in our nature, we don't know how long that should be, what should be the weekly cycle. Uh, and so God has made it one whole day on the seventh day to commemorate creation and to look forward to the Savior to come. But in the resurrection of Christ, Christ and the apostles changed it to the first day because now the works of God are completed and our redemption has been fully accomplished. 
And that's why the Sabbath is on the first day of the week. So we are told then that we're to treat the Sabbath as God's holy ground. And we're not to profane it. And how do you profane the Sabbath? He says, from doing your pleasure on my day. Uh, The word pleasure is a word that Solomon uses uh, three times in uh, Ecclesiastes. And uh, I think the clearest uh, example of it is in chapter 8, verse 6. For there is a proper time and procedure for every delight. This is the word pleasure, this word delight. Though a man's trouble is heavy upon him. You know, Solomon often talked about that. Well, at least in the midst of your trouble... You enjoy your wife, your family, enjoy your home, enjoy uh, the pleasures you have. And so he says that there is proper time and procedure for every delight, every pleasure. And so here, when he says you don't do your own pleasure on my holy day, you're not to do your thing. You're to do God's thing. You're to devote this day to him. And if you devote it to yourself, if you're seeking your personal and private pleasures apart from his pleasures then you're profaning the day. Well, that's negative. But God moves to the positive. Uh, As he calls us this careful obligation, he says then, call the Sabbath a delight. The holy of the Lord, honorable. Now, the word delight is the same word that we have in verse 14. Call the Sabbath your exquisite pleasure. Don't profane it by doing your pleasures, but find this ultimate, wonderful delight in it as you find God in it. I wonder, how many times do you young people wake up on Sunday morning and think, oh no, it's Sunday, and I've got to go to church, and I can't do this, and I've got to do that. We adults are just as bad, aren't we? That we often don't think about this day as the best day of all, as the hymn says. We don't find delight in it and its treasures and its privileges. But that's what God's calling us to. To find wonderful delight in this day and to call it honorable. To reverence it. To set it in a place of great honor in the whole throne room of our lives. There, God enthroned on high and we honor him as we honor his day. This is what it is to approach the day in the way that God wants us to. But because we're slow, he expands on what he means. Um, How do we delight in this day and call it honorable? He says honor it. How? How? Gives us three negatives. Desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure, and speaking your own word. Uh, The first line has to do with our regular work and vocations. It's the outworking of the fourth commandment, that this is not the day to pursue your work and your vocations, whether it is uh, your your other calling or your housework or your schoolwork or whatever. Uh, this is the day that we put as much of that aside as possible and only do those works that our catechism and confession calls deeds of necessity and mercy. It also means that we don't cause others to work on this day. And that's why 
going out to eat recreationally is wrong. It's a violation, clearly, of the fourth commandment. But of the principle that's laid out here, we desist from work, and thus we must desist from causing others to work as well. But second, he says, desist from your own pleasures. Now, here's our word pleasures again. Uh, Those things in which we take delight. It's the same word that we have there in the first half of the verse. Now, put in this way, alongside our vocations and callings, we're clearly now talking about those other things in our lives, which we would refer to as hobbies and, and recreations and other types of these leisure activities. Uh, this is not a day to pursue our pleasure. We're to pursue our delight of God in this day. And so it's not a time to, well, I got home from church. Now I can watch a football game or I can go out and play a quick round of golf or go fishing uh, or whatever. No, God has freed us from these things that we might then find delight in him. Now, a couple of words for parents that are very important. In the first place, you need to make the day a delight for your children. You don't just turn them loose, but you don't bind them either. It needs to be a day that's created with, with things that will be pleasurable for them, that will enable them to learn to love and to honor the Sabbath. Uh, but second, you, you, you need to, particularly in our day and time, work with your children to learn to deny themselves. You know, the things that, uh, even when I was rearing my children, uh, that were good and wholesome, uh, were never on the Lord's Day. In fact, in those days, the Little League Charter did not allow you to practice or play games on Wednesday night because the prayer meeting are on the Sabbath. That's no longer the case, is it? And so, you know, all of the great things, the soccer leagues and the baseball and the football and all that's happening on Sunday afternoon. And we have to teach our children that in God's providence in the time in which they live, uh, they are going to have to learn to deny themselves. And how God blesses that, self-denial. And then remind ourselves that, uh, you know, if you live in, in China or North Korea or in a, in a Muslim country or Cuba or whatever, it's not a matter of getting to play soccer on Sunday afternoon. It's a matter of your daddy's in prison and you can't go to university because you're a Christian. And so we want our children to learn that this is a privilege to deny ourselves, even as we pray that God will change our culture. But right now, our make alternatives. Our, our grandchildren are involved now in homeschool uh, sports leagues. And by God's grace, they're honoring the Sabbath. And so they've got those alternatives now that uh, um, they wouldn't have had a few years ago. So desist from your work, desist from your recreations. And then probably the hardest, uh, to desist from uh, speaking your own word. Now, this our confession interprets as unnecessary conversation about our work and recreation. It doesn't mean that we only talk about the Bible, our Christian experience on the Sabbath. We're together for Christian fellowship. We love one another. We pray for one another. We want to know about the lives of one another. Uh, we meet new people. We visit church. Uh, but it's the unnecessary things that, uh, man, did you see that ball game last night? Or, you know, I need to get by your office this week. I need to change my insurance policy. Or my dentist used to have people come up to him at church and open their mouth and ask him a question. Um, ask me in private what he said to them. I can't say it in public. But anyway, 
It's funny. Um, because we want to think and help others think about God and about the glories of God. And so this is how we carefully observe the Sabbath. We keep from profaning it. We honor it, but we do so by desisting from our own callings and recreations and um, words about these things. And, but this is to free us. The Puritans would talk about the Sabbath as the market day of the soul. And so you don't look at it as a list of negatives, but as a vacation, a freedom from regular life. And so it's, it's put this way in our larger catechism, 117, it's on page 955. The Sabbath or Lord's Day is to be sanctified by holy resting all the day, not only from such works as are at all times sinful, but even from such worldly employments and recreations as are on other days lawful, and making it our delight to spend the whole time, except so much of it is taken up in works of necessity and mercy, in the public and private exercises of God's worship. And to that end, we are to prepare our hearts with such foresight and diligence and moderation to dispose and seasonally dispatch our worldly business that we may be the more free and fit for the duties of that day. This is what God's given us. And he's given us that he might bless us through it with this great delight in him, spiritual strength and victory and enjoyment of our privileges in Christ. But You know, sometimes I, I, I deal with this and I get the objection. I can't do that. And then the next thing is, then God must not expect me to do that. I find that interesting. You know what my response is? Tell me which of the commandments you can keep the way God wants you to. That's part of the purpose of the law. It exposes us in all of our frailties and weaknesses. And so the first rest of the Sabbath is the reminder that you rest in Christ alone. You rest in Christ for pardon, for as we prayed for Sabbath breaking, but for, for all of our sins. You rest in Christ. You see, it drives you into the arms of Christ, the great Sabbath keeper. You rest in Him. And then you seek grace from Him to grow in the practice of the Sabbath. Are you resting in Christ today, dear friends? Are you trusting Him alone uh, as your Savior? for your acceptance with God, for your righteousness. If not, that means you're still in a far-off country. You're separated from God and you're under his wrath and condemnation. You need to repent and, and come to God. Some of you need to repent of your approach to the Sabbath. Perhaps the Spirit has exposed you. Uh, in terms of, I'm not doing these things. But you see now, this is what God wants you to do and how he'll bless you. It might mean that some of you as, as fathers or heads of household are going to need to go home this afternoon and sit down with the family and say, you know, I've not led us right in this. We need to repent and to, and to seek God's grace. But also, as you think of the Sabbath as the antidote to formalism, you know, my problem is... I. I externally. I have no problems with these things uh, in terms of my convictions. But you know, it can become very mechanistic. So we got our day plotted out and we know what we do and don't do. 
But you see, in all of that, you must seek God in the Sabbath. You must consciously pray for the blessings as you enter into the Sabbath. And then you'll have delight in it and in him. And may God give us grace to do so. Amen. Holy Triune God, we thank you that you have loved us so much that you have given us this day that we might have special communion, conversation, worship with you, Lord, and of you. We thank you that you love us so much that you've ordained our lives. That six days you should do your labor and all your work. And the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work or labor. We thank you. You give us good work and you give us time to do that work. But we thank you. You give us rest from that work to rest in you. Well, we ask that you will indeed give us a great hunger for keeping the Sabbath in the way that you've designed as our covenant responsibility of those who are in covenant with you. And we ask that you'll give us, Lord, these things that you've promised, that every Sabbath will enable us to grow more in love with you, your word, your people, Uh, more spiritual victory, more sanctification, more great joy in the Christian life. And Lord, if there are those here or those listening today who are not yet resting in Christ with the Holy Spirit even now work in them and call them into saving union with the Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let us conclude now by singing this really wonderful Sabbath hymn, a 154 in the Psalter Hymnal, the Maroon Book, a 154. This day at thy creation. And what you see here is uh, the important events that God did uh, on the Sabbath. now at me and receive God's blessing. Now may the God of peace, 
who brought it from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant, even Jesus our Lord, work in you everything to his good pleasure. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen.